welcome back to another episode of What the HR, an award-winning podcast. I'm Jesse Novi. And I'm Mike Toole. The What the HR podcast explores how to build people-centric businesses through modern practices and approaches. New episodes are released frequently, so don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any episodes. Welcome back to another episode of What the HR. Today, we're joined by Martin Lowe to talk about the skills gap. You're going to absolutely love this episode. We're really excited to share it with you. Martin is the founder and CEO at On Plane Consulting. He has over 20 years of HR experience at companies like Amazon, McKesson, Blue Apron, Cummins, Lear and Labasco. And while at those companies, he implemented programs to improve employee relations, staffing, performance management, benefits, and wellness, and supported large employee groups. As always, if you are loving our podcast episode and our incredible guests, please do us a huge favor. Head on over to your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a rating and review. Those rating and reviews really help to ensure that our What the HR podcast is getting out to other HR professionals and business leaders that could benefit from our incredible guests and our topics. As always, thank you for being a listener of the What the HR podcast, and we hope that you enjoy our episode. All right, Martin, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Of course, yeah. A easy way to get started for our audience. Tell everybody about Martin Lowe. What do you do? Talk about on plane and maybe how you got to uh, starting that that company. Yeah, yeah. It's like a did you lose a bet kind of thing, right? Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my name is Martin Lowe, uh, based in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, background for me, I did uh, undergrad work in um, economics. Really loved business and business theory but felt like no one talked about the people side of a business, which was kind of a mystery to me after getting through that degree program. So I did master's in human resources, um, then spent a number of years in the automotive industry doing generalist uh, work, went from automotive, worked for Amazon when they were still like a small $15 billion company. And they were trying to figure out things like how do we manage performance and how do we staff a building and how do we run employee engagement and measure it with surveys and those sort of things. So worked with them on setting up that infrastructure. Um, and then I went from there, I worked with a private equity backed uh, business that had been family owned for about 35 years, um, helped them rebuild their HR function. Uh, we grew that business by 4X over five years, sold it. Um, and then I went from there and I worked for Blue Apron as they were working to go public and get all the things together that they needed um, to facilitate that transaction. Um, and over the course of all of that work, you, know, you see all these like really great high value companies um, that have been very successful, but they hadn't invested in the people's side of the business. And normally when I got there, there was no strategic plan around show me what good looks like, show me where we are today, show me the difference between the two and then build a roadmap of of that with some gap analysis. It was all just firefighting. And um, I was kind of frustrated with the third time around doing that again. And so I started looking for, you know, where are the consultants? Why, why doesn't somebody have this? And I couldn't find anybody that did that. And so we built um, a business around that and a process to do it. And so now we work with businesses to um, look at their HR function and what's happening with their people against that framework. And then we use the gaps between the two to talk to them about current state 
and then build a roadmap for the next six to 12 months so we can focus on their biggest issues and then we can help them either project manage or drive that roadmap for them. Yeah. And, and I know we, so today we want to talk about that's those skills gaps and how we mm-hmm. you measure and allocate the right people to HR. So I want to start with, with the skills gap. I know um, that you have a lot of data on the skills gaps and a lot of things that have changed over the course of the product, you know, last 10, 15 years. Talk yeah. a little bit more about what you've experienced with customers, but also what the research is saying around the skills gaps. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, so the skills gap thing is really interesting to me um, because it's an underlying root cause about what's on front of mind, I think, for a lot of businesses. In front of mind for a lot of businesses is I don't have enough people and how do I get the number of people that I need in the place that I need them? Why can't I find them like that sort of stuff? And so when you look at our tagline and we say, well, people matter most, um, really wanted to make sure that folks understood the business case around like, why do people matter so much? And if you look at what any leader is trying to do inside of a business. So if you're an owner or if you're a CEO, what you're thinking about is, is I'm a fiduciary of these resources. I have to grow the valuation of the business, whether that's stock price or a privately held entity, the valuation of that business. And it goes back to 90% of the S&P 500 is valued based on intangibles. Right. So if you look at the S&P today, it's about 90 percent is intangible value, 10 percent is tangible value. And your people are going to drive everything that sits in that intangibles bucket, right? whether it's customer relationships, IP processes, internal capabilities, all of that sort of stuff, R&D, it's all going to sit in that um, intangibles bucket. And so when you think about why people matter so much. That's how generally you're going to drive the valuation of the business. Then you get kind of another layer down and you say, well, what's going on from a talent standpoint? Yes, businesses are going to be willing to pay more for them because they're driving the valuation. But then you kind of wonder about, well, why can't I find enough people? And the reason that we think you can't find enough people is, is the skills mismatch that happens as technology starts to move things forward. Right. And so what you'll find when you start to talk to people, you get out. Um, You look at who's on a conference list or you look at a hot topic of a newsletter that's coming out or whatever, and everyone's talking about new technology in HR. They're talking about AI and what's going to happen, and they're kind of trying to future project out like what's what's it really going to be. Some of this is about tools, but I think the real story is about skill sets. Mm -hmm. The reason why I think that – oh, go ahead, Mike. Well, no, I I was going to ask when we – as I think about this, because I, I would imagine over the last 30, 40 years, businesses probably were based more on tangible assets, right? That that mm-hmm. is that a relatively newer shift, newer meaning in the last you know, 15, 20 years? And is that do you, do you see the that being the direct cause of the skills gaps? Yeah, well, I think technology is what's driving that shift. So if you look at if you look at it, um, and we've got a chart on this. I mean, you can look back, you know, from 1970-ish to now. So you got about a 40, 50-year trend. Of if you went back into the the 70s, 
you've got almost a flip of that. It was like a 90-10 tangible asset to intangible asset. And then as you march forward right around 2000, when technology really kicks in, that's when you really start to see the big shift, right? From old line manufacturing and things that held resources like an ExxonMobil or something like that to new tech companies like an Apple or an Amazon right that are that are really based on all of this proprietary stuff that they've built technology that they've built and so i think technology is driving it and i think that shift to tech enabled businesses is what drives that skills mismatch right and it's some of this is about new ways of doing this and some of it's about how fast those things happen in addition to all the things that you just stated martin cuz i a thousand percent agree with them. Would you also argue that, you know, the last couple of generations have have navigated their way through the workforce and then I what I would argue is a very different way than like the baby boomers mm-hmm. in prior navigated their way. You know, they would get on a career track and their trajectory would kind of stay on that career track. Whereas now we have um, employees who are, are interested and capable of kind of bouncing around and getting exposure to to more than just, you know, an accounting degree. I'll just use that as an, or an accounting career track. I'll just use that as the example. Um, do you feel, too, that maybe the skill gap because of the example that I just provided is also problematic because we don't have enough companies willing to assess candidates that are coming through their applicant tracking system and their interview process in a way that's more robust than the way mm-hmm. that we used to interview and screen candidates historically? Yeah. Um, well, I think it's, if, if you're somebody with those critical skills, you know, CPAs, uh, someone in tech that does development work, um, a medical field, right, that's in demand, whether it's nursing or, um, you know, a doctor or those sort of things, you got a skill that someone's going to pay you for right away. And they're almost not really screening, right? Like I literally just got off a call with somebody who's like, I'm happy that we talked about this employee, like they'd been there for forever and they'd been there for 11 months. And they were just trying to keep them there um, because they really needed that that skill set. You know, and so I think because of that, that lack of of ability, the the lack of supply on that side of the market, companies are just desperate for anybody that can help them move the ball forward in that. So I do agree. I don't think they do a great job skill like with that skill set, with that selection process. Um, and then I, I don't see them doing enough to build internal funnels. To, you know, once you, you know, bring somebody in at a lower level and then help them kind of move through the organization so that one, you have a better sense for who you're getting. Two, you can build a little commitment on both sides, right? I'm going to commit to you. You're going to commit to me. And over the course of time, you can see that career progression move in a way that's as good or maybe even better than what you could find out of the, out of the market. The challenge is, is that anybody that's any good can walk out the door of one job and into another job, maybe for a 10% increase, you know, especially in some of these big markets where, where these things are hot. Yeah, I agree. And I also have found, I think a little bit in this market where I think 
some people are still a little confused, like, are we in a recession? Are we not in a recession? You know, what is what does the future look like for the profitability of our company that some companies have moved away from internship programs and entry level programs that are allowing what you just described? And so it's Mm -hmm. creating this gap of young professionals or even seasoned professionals that are looking to do something a little bit different. But um, they have a lot of applicable skills, but maybe not directly applicable to the job that they're applying for in terms of Mm -hmm. like their title isn't a direct match as an example. And um, it's it's unfortunate to see because to your to the point that you made a moment ago, companies are eager to fill roles. They want to fill them fast. They want to bring in the right type of talent and the right type of skill set. Mm-hmm. But unless they can think outside the box and be a little bit more creative with how they're thinking about assessing skills and the type of candidates that they're going to bring in, um, it could impact their success and it can impact their time to fill. Yeah, oh, 100%. Well, but I think there's still a little bit of a sense of we're just one good recession from all of this stuff going back to what someone wants their normal to be, right? And in their mind, their normal is like you see these pictures of a factory in the 30s with the foreman out front and they've got two jobs and there's 200 men just trying to get into that factory to get those two jobs. And I feel like when you start to talk to people that are outside of HR, they believe that the market either is still this way, or if we just have a little bit of a slowdown, it'll go back to that. And that's like kind of the mindset that they're going after with this. And they're missing kind of the big picture, which is it hasn't been that way for 20 years. It's not going to start being that way for the skills that you really want to hire into right? The ones that are going to move your business, the ones that are based on new tech, and you've got to do something different inside your business if you really want to grow it at speed. And if you don't do it and somebody else does, they're going to have a massive competitive advantage against your business. So you really have to start doing that. You have to start doing it now. Um, And then I think what we've seen with our customers is this sense of like a slowdown. And I think there's a big difference between a slowdown and a recession. Right. So we've in a lot of industries just come off the best two or three years that some of these industries have had. So while they might be, you know, they're growing at 10 percent instead of 20 percent. So they feel like their business is down. But then when you start talking to them about like, hey, if this were 2017 and your business was doing this, how would you be doing? Oh, we have a record year. Why are you talking to me about like a slowdown and a recession and you can't hire and you don't want to do Maybe you're just not going at the pace you were going in 2021 or 2022. Your business is still very healthy. The fundamentals are good. The market is strong. You should still be trying to invest right now um, to get in front of that labor market issue that you're seeing. Yeah. And to the point that you made earlier, this is an incredible time for companies like that to build their bench and get super good at succession planning. That's it. That's it. Well, and and we talk a lot about the idea of can you figure out how to do more with less? Right? Because you win on any side of that fence. So if there is a recession coming and we do have a slowdown and you've gotten more efficient on the people side of your business, you win because you were going to have to do that anyway. If there isn't a recession coming and things speed back up, you win because you're going to have issues with the growth of the business. 
right? And you've just gotten more efficient inside of the business. It's going to make it that much easier to staff the positions that you have. It's going to make your business more profitable. And you do that through things like you're talking about, like, can I be more efficient with something like succession planning? Can I lay out a career path for people? You you know, there's tons of data out there that show that a lot of people leave jobs because they don't see that career progression that they need. That succession planning can be the leverage point to say to someone, hey, we see you in this role in the next three years. And now you know how that person's going to move and you know how you're going to fill that harder to fill position because the higher up that goes in the organization, the harder it's going to be for you to fill. So <clears throat> as an employee, I've always wondered when it comes to succession planning, Martin, mm-hmm. how people tend to put multiple people into those succession roles, right? So mm-hmm. I'm I'm wondering when, like, what is your recommendation in terms of when you have that conversation about that career mm-hmm. path? How, like, because what I'm thinking as a company is, well, if we if we bet on Martin and we put him on this career path, and Martin does leave in in a year. Right now, that's that's worked lost. So, like, what do you recommend when working with customers in terms of for one key role, let's say? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. what what does that succession planning look like? And I know we're not here to talk about it, but I'm just curious because it's it's one of yeah. those things that like you're, you're kind of hedging your bets, which is a little bit scary. Um, and then at the same time, the employees feeling like, well, if I'm in line for Martin's role, and so is Jess, and so is Chuck, and so mm-hmm. is Sarah, like. Right. It becomes like this bottleneck. And I, I, I think that slows people down. So I'm curious what your yeah. recommendations well, would be. Well, and it's it's hard in smaller and by smaller, I mean, like, you know, if you're 10,000 or 20,000 employee organization, it's hard to have a lot of movement to allow for that career pacing that someone's looking at. Right. So, right. you know, I've been in in roles sometimes where I'm looking at it and going, all right, there's three options for me. This person I think is going to be in this role for the next five or six years. I got, no matter what I do as a person, I got five or six years before I can get into that seat, maybe longer, you know, even worse if I'm not the person that they pick at the end of that four-year period. And so what people do is they'll go, I don't have to wait four years. I can go tomorrow to this other opportunity over here. I can get some more pay. I can have a bigger title. And that's why you see that, that job movement. What we've done with our customers is instead of trying to say, hey, this is the only role that you have and you've got to, you know, get in the spot that you're in, build up these skill sets. And then you get kind of this cliff event that's somewhere out in the future. What we'll do is, is we'll work with them to build a skills progression that allows somebody to move up in responsibility, in duties and in pay over a six to maybe 12 month period so that what they're doing is is they're picking up more and more responsibility that adds value back to the business so they're able to drive more value and make more money and grow their career all along the way and if you do that you don't have to wait for those traditional succession planning cliff events the other thing that'll happen is the business is you are starting to hedge yourself right both sides win because you're eliminating some risk along the way of well that one person we bet on left now we're 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 done right well if you've got three or four people in the business that are all learning more skills picking up more skills adding more value to the business 
you're more robust and you're not dependent on that one person. And those people all have that career path along the way, too. Yeah, I agree with that. If you can do that well, I think that's kind of a silver bullet to career mm-hmm. development and career progression. But this is likely a controversial statement that I'm going to make. But I also feel like organizations need to get out of the mentality of like, I need my people to be here forever. Like it is, it's detrimental to my business to have a lot of turnover. Because I think if organizations go into it with this mentality of like, we want to build strength and skills um, for our talent to better our organization, but also to better another organization um, and, you know, allow that person to go on and do great things. And I think that company has done something really well, right? They've, mm-hmm. They haven't burnt a bridge with that talent. They've built talent credibility. The optics on it are great. The talent leaves feeling good about it. It's kind of a win-win. The company may argue it's not a win for them because they've lost an incredible talent, but now it gets, gives them the opportunity to either promote somebody within, give somebody else that opportunity, or bring in some kind of fresh perspective from the outside. Well, you know, a couple things of that. One, you may find that they come back. Right, because I've I've been in roles where you lose somebody that you really like that you thought was going to be there for a while, um, and they just they want to try something new and they go out for a couple of years and they call you, you know, eighteen months in and go, hey, um, you know that grass over here is not as green as it was on <laughs> on your side of the fence. How about I, I stop back in? The other thing is, is I think it's a small world when it comes to that stuff. And we had somebody. Uh, a leader that we've worked with who said, I want to build a company where it's a great place to be and a great place to be from, right? And I thought that was such a cool concept because it talks about that network, that alumni network that you build out in the world. And a number of different things can come back to the business leadership because of that. It can be deals that you do inside of the industry later because you have somebody that's working over in company B that's in your industry that maybe they're doing something that's similar and you guys can partner up or an acquisition or a sale. Like there's that potential, there's potential for that person to come back. There's also potential for people to look at it almost like, um, you know, you see in sports with good universities. Hey, if I'm really good and I go to that university, I got a better chance to play up into this next role and mm-hmm. so you become a place where good talent wants to go to get their foot in the door to learn some of those great skills so maybe you don't get them for 40 years but maybe you get them for a really good five that's not that's not bad right and as long as you can be really clear about how that person brings value and how building those skill sets has that value inside the organization you're going to be fine even if people come and go, I mean, you have turnover in any business. The worst place to be is a place where someone has no skills and they stagnate in that role and they stay with you, right? Like that's a really bad spot and your turnover costs may not be very high, but the leverage that you're getting on that labor is also really, really low. And that's a worse problem than, than this, you know, turnover because you got a lot of skills. Yeah. It's that, uh, that quote you see on LinkedIn, Every couple of months, again, if talking to the CFO, it says, what if we train our people and they leave? And he says, and they say, well, what if what if we don't and they stay type of thing? That's right. I I also think that and I've always thought this. Yeah. Anybody that goes through your organization now becomes either an advocate or 
a naysayer about that organization. I think about places I've worked that were really good at training. I didn't stay there, but I had a good time. People still call me to this day and say, hey, I saw you work there. What do you think? I say it's a great organization. Right. So it does. Right. That stuff follows you all over the place. Um, Jess, did you have any more questions around the skills gap? Otherwise, I kind of want to jump into our, our phase two of the conversation where we talk about kind of the measurement and then resource allocation of the talent. Yeah, maybe just one more um, quick question, if if you wouldn't mind, Martin, regarding um, AI. So earlier earlier on in the conversation, you had talked about um, the use of AI and how companies are starting to use it now. Specifically, I think we're seeing it a lot um, built into applicant tracking systems used to kind of help talent acquisition advisors yep. screen candidates. I just love maybe your quick thoughts on it. Just, you know, I, I look on LinkedIn and I'll see a job posting that has like 800 applicants. And I'm like, what is that experience like for that recruiter? More importantly, what's the experience like for the person that's trying to get a job at that organization? And is AI really advantageous or is it weeding out the wrong candidates and providing a poor, you know, candidate experience and potentially not selecting, helping the recruiter, excuse me, select the best candidate for the position? Yeah. Um, So there's, there's probably a whole bunch of stuff to unpack there. Maybe the right place to start from an AI standpoint. To me, it's a little bit like the internet in 1996. Like, you're old enough to remember. I remember I had a buddy of mine got got the AOL disk. Like, none of us had internet. He got internet. We got the AOL disk, came on CD, loaded in, and then you had AOL. And he had had email. We're like, oh, this email thing's going to be amazing. Well, he was our only friend to have email. So, like... We get into his email. There's nothing there because there's nobody like there's nobody for us to email, right? So there's just nothing. And you go online, you're like, internet's gonna be amazing. We see all this stuff. Well, you couldn't really get to anything, um, and there wasn't really anything to see because there just wasn't a whole lot there. And anything like a picture you get to might take 20 minutes to show up, right? So it, it really was overpromised and underdelivered at that point. We had no concept of what it would be like now, right? Like the idea that we're on a video chat and doing this stuff, you can connect with people all over the world. You have all of this information instantaneously, the way that stuff links together. We never would have thought all of that would have happened. We just want to send an email or see a picture or whatever it might be, right? Um, So I think that's a lot of where AI is. So we see these things now where it's like it kind of works, but it doesn't really like you could maybe draft up something with it, but you really got to look at it close. If you're using like a chat GTP or, or whatever, I think it's I think it's close to being where it is. I think the 10 years from now, we're not even going to be able to to conceive some of the things that it's going to do. And I think that that's probably more positive than negative. When I start to think about where it is today and how quickly you might integrate it into a recruiting process or anything else, I think you have to have a ton of caution because I worry a lot just about the algorithms and you not knowing who's going to get let in and who's going to get let out of that screening process and how many good candidates are you going to miss or how much bias might you unintentionally introduce into your hiring process and you're going to get one certain type of person and then that carries into the cognitive diversity of your organization in ways that I think are are really negative and potentially hazardous. You don't see it now. You, you won't see it for five or 10 years. Right. So like I think that part is a little tricky um, 
as you're looking at that that integration. So I think people have to be really thoughtful and really careful about the sales claims versus the reality of what that thing will really do. Um, and then, you know, ideally you're doing something more than just a post and pray. Ideally, you're doing a little bit to build the right relationships with the right candidates. You got 800 people coming through. That's tough on the recruiter. That's tough on the candidates. You're not going to have a good experience for them. You probably got a whole bunch of people that replied to a, a sales job that have only ever driven a Ford truck. Yeah, it's uh it's a great point. I even think about, and so I've tried to get, I've, I've reached out. I want somebody who's well-versed in, in the AI and the HR world specifically to come on the podcast. And it's funny, a lot, everybody's talking about AI, but nobody wants to talk about it as an expert yet because they're not quite there on it. So if anybody's listening and you have a great thought leader on AI, like please send them our way because again, it's, it, you see posts every day. But then you reach out and like, yeah. I don't know if I'm quite comfortable enough to jump on a podcast and kind of be an expert in it. But to your point, yeah. and I love the statement of we can't even conceive of where it'll be in 10 years. I I, I believe that and I'm, it's like exciting, but also makes me a little bit nervous. Yeah. And Mike, I think one more thing on that skills gap concept. Yep. You know, a lot of people are trying to figure out, like, well, what do I really need to do with this? The way that we talk to our clients about this is the idea of, like, if you went back 200 years and you said, hey, I need to dig a ditch. I would go, I'd get 100 people, I'd give them shovels, and I'd point them in a direction and be like, hey, go dig over there, right? And it would be really hard. It's not great work. I can't pay somebody a lot because I'm not adding a lot of value. I don't train them at all, right? I'm not investing in tools and resources. I'm giving them a shovel, right? Like, so there's a limited, limited investment I got to make in that process, limited output I can get from that person. If all of a sudden... I now have a steam shovel. I probably, if I have 100 people digging ditches, I probably only need two, right? So 98 of those 100 people don't matter to my business anymore. But the two that are left, they really matter, right? Because they're going to have a much higher output. I'm going to invest significantly. I have to train them on how to use the equipment. The equipment's expensive, so I can't just put anybody in there. Um, there's some maintenance and other things that have to happen around that equipment for for it to be usable and fully leveraged. So if you think about that concept for tech and AI, think about the idea of like what skill sets somebody digging a ditch with a shovel is what that person's going to look like versus what that person that you would put in a steam shovel is going to look like. And there's there's case studies and stuff out there around like what what happened when you went from like typewriters to computers, and what difference in skill set was that. I think we're going to see a lot of that same stuff when you go into AI. And I think part of why it's so hard to find anybody that has it is that a lot of people haven't made it over that hump yet. So uh, do do companies know which, like, and this is maybe larger, smaller ones probably do, but larger companies, do they know which roles within the companies they need to find those two people versus the 98 that really have that, like, really push the organization forward? I mean, because it's it's changed there's a lot of people in the organization mm -hmm. let's say like do you find that companies don't even know which roles are actually propelling the business forward yeah i i think that they because they typically they don't have a good scorecard to say like hey what does a good week look like for this person what does a good month look like for these positions and how does that move things forward for the business Right. And if I don't have visibility into maybe the five things that this person's going to do for me every week that matter, 
it's really tough for me to then take that tie it back to the revenue generating activities that the business needs. And without that, you can't really start having a conversation about what matters and what doesn't and where could you strip stuff out or where could you do something different um, to move things faster. I think what's happening is, is that they're so under-resourced, especially at a leader level. The leaders don't get the time away from work to think those things through and they're not expected to, so they don't. So then you're just trying to keep up every day. I think everybody is been at an organization where somebody is left and everybody goes how could they possibly let that person go right they literally like kept everything yeah. together i would have paid that yeah. person triple that kind of thing and and that's what yeah. i think of when we think of this all right so so that kind of leads into then like how do companies measure their talent and make sure that they're allocating the right resources to certain resources. positions yeah. like can you talk a little bit about that yeah yeah so um, what, what we like to do with businesses uh, when we work with them is we want to come in and assess what's happening uh, against a framework of what good looks like for uh, the people side of the business. And so we think with them about strategy, talent, culture and administration. So strategy is, you know, what am I trying to do with the business? Have I been clear about that? Uh, is everyone else clear about it? Do we have a structure that supports it? Right. So things like mission, vision, values annual plans, my org structure, those sort of things are strategy. When we think about talent, it's really about, can I get the right people in the right seats? Can I keep them and can I grow them, right? So things like, how do I do? We talked earlier about selection, like how does that process work? We talked about, you know, how do I take somebody through um, succession planning, like those sorts of things that's um, in that bucket. Then we think about culture. And inside of culture for me, this is really about what decisions do people make when they know what I want them to do and when they have the tools and resources around them to do it, right? So, you know, we talk a lot about that discretionary effort. So do I come in and try harder? Do you get 110%? Do I shirk? Do I backstab? Like, what is that culture? And inside of that, we think about things like, you know, health and wellness. We think about leadership, like those sort of things that that make up that culture. And then we think about administration. Administration is really like, the table stake stuff that you have to do to run an HR department. So it's, you know, payroll and compliance and benefits and and that sort of all the, the administrative stuff that you got to do um, to run it. And so we look at everything through that lens. And then once we gather our data, we're able to say, hey, listen, you guys might be great on the leadership side, but no one's clear about your mission, vision, values. And because they're not clear about mission, vision, values, they don't have that sense of purpose. And because they don't have that sense of purpose, they don't feel the connection that you might want to the organization, even though they feel really good about their leader. Right. And so with that data, we can start to kind of piece apart what's happening in the organization. And we can say even to a leader who says we're mission driven, everybody knows our values everybody's clear on it, you can sit down with them and say, hey, you know, we asked everybody, about half of them said that they were clear on it, right? So maybe we need to start some work there. I know that you feel really good about it. I know that's really important to you, and I know that you focused on it, but it hasn't landed inside the organization. And because of that, we got to spend our time there instead of doing more recruiting or instead of doing some leadership training or instead of being worried about compensation, right? So being able to take that thing and, and get it down into tactical bits lets you measure where you are, lets you talk with the leadership team in a credible way about why you want to focus energy in a certain area. And then because we've measured it once and we've created a baseline, we can come back a second time and say, did it work? 
right? So more than just saying, well, I read the tea leaves and you should go over there and then you get your consulting fees and you leave. We can stay there with them, help them get through it and then show um, to senior leadership and to the employees that what we did worked and that we listened to them or that it didn't work and that we heard them. <laughs> and then we got to go make another pass, you know. What does is, what is, uh, it worked mean in like, in the outcomes here, does that mean revenue went up? Does that mean that headcount went down, you know, or, or up? Like what, tell me a little bit like what, because I'm thinking we always say we want people to leave listening to the podcast and have something tangible they can use right away. And I'm just wondering for somebody who, who maybe is in the middle of this or is trying to measure it themselves, like what are they looking for that tells them, hey, we're on the right track or we're on the wrong path? Yeah, yeah. So, um so if, if you're working on the people side of the business and you want to see that it works, right, there's a couple different ways for you to think about that. The first way to, to, to think about it that I think is really important is the revenue and the profitability is a scoreboard that's an outcome. You don't do things like to just make revenue go up. It's an outcome of the things that you did over the last 6, 12, 24 months, right? It's a lot like a sales process. When you get something signed, that was not, you didn't make that signing happen. You took a lot of steps along the way, and that signature on the bottom is an outcome, just like that revenue line or that profitability is an outcome of you guys doing the right things in the past. So that's probably the first thing that I would talk to people about, because what what everyone wants is they want to see those numbers go up. That's a scoreboard based on past activity. To do this right can take you one to two years because of the time it takes for people to see it feel it you know beyond just the implementation they got to feel it inside the organization where you'll see it really start to work is you'll be able to look at what are my overall people costs inside of my sgna what does that look like as a percent of revenue and if i can lower my people costs even by a little bit as a percent of my revenue I can drive significant gains in profitability for the company, um, especially companies that are on really small margins with really big percentages of their costs tied up inside of their labor, which is a lot of businesses these days. So when you think about like, how do I know that it works? That's the, the, the balance sheet way to think about it. The way that we look at it initially is we can tell after six to eight months if something worked because we go back out and we ask the employees. The employees are our customers, right? So if the employees are happy and if they know what they need to do and if they're aligned, good things are going to come out of that revenue line and that profitability line over time, right? That scoreboard's going to go up for you. And so what we do, like in this example where we talked about, you know, hey, I've got mission, vision, values, and only 50% of the organization feels like they're clear and that they get it. We were able to go back eight months later, and at that point, 100%, of the folks in the organization said that they were clear and that they get it. So that's a way that we can say this worked and we know that over time that's going to show up on your balance sheet as profitability, right? You're looking at it from making sure we're doing the right inputs. The outcomes aren't necessarily right. We, we can't control that that's right. day one. So it's all about the inputs and okay. That's right. But you know, I mean, if you over time, right inputs over time are going to get you results. You know, right. there's stuff that happens, right? 
economy slows down. Maybe the business isn't more profitable. Business launches a new product. Maybe they're not more profitable. They have competitors that they didn't plan on. Maybe they're not more profitable. But over time, they're going to get those wins because they were in there doing the work every day. And that's just how that stuff works, whether it's sales or HR operations. You can't control everything. But if you work the stuff you can control, you're going to get the results that you want. Yeah, it's I I think of the gym and, you know, I think they say everybody quits. I don't remember what it may be six weeks in and results yeah. are at 10 weeks. Yeah. And so it's yeah, like yeah, it's. Yeah. But that's yeah. that's what's hard, I think, for organizations is you really got to focus on doing the right things, the small things every single day. And they accumulate to these big things, but you don't that's necessarily right. see the results after one week or two weeks. And you. you and I and I I especially think that's hard for HR then to sell mm-hmm. that up when it's you, you know you're 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 kind of buying time essentially like hey we we know it's going to work but it's going to take some time and I can't walk in your office in two months and tell you it's fixed and so that and that's why I asked the question like what are some of those yeah. small things that they can they can but point can, to and say see it's working yeah but but you can just like for sales like let's say you've got a sales process where it's a eighteen month sales cycle to get something placed into a customer. It might take 18 months before you get that signature on the bottom of the page. There are tactical things that you can do in month one that you know get your results 18 months out. And so what you want to do is you want to manage those tactical things. And the way that that manifests for our customers and the way that that, that they see it, because they're not going to, I got passed for 18 or 24 months on like a hope that maybe it works, right? They're going to start having conversations with people inside the organization to say, hey, we told you this, what do you think? And just by asking people what they think, showing that you care enough to spend the time on that process bringing that information back to them and telling them what you're going to do about it in some steps just that is going to get you some traction and your leadership is going to start to hear from people hey i appreciate you doing it hey i saw this change that you made over here and that means something to me because you listened to me hey i saw that you adopted joe's suggestion on this thing over here it's going to make a real big difference for the team and so often when we start working with customers those little things they're you know they've got a silly process that they're running that they could fix right away that we uncover as a part of that employee engagement survey that we do right and we fix it within two or three weeks someone's going to start saying to to senior leadership hey i saw that you did that i really appreciate it so you start to see those little things along the way and if you're in hr when you start to make those moves your senior leaders are going to start hearing those things right and then that's going to give you the credibility to keep going down that path and over time that's going to buy you that six months eight months 12 months 24 months that you need yeah i think that was a great way to wrap up martin thank you for that explanation it's been super fun to have you on we'll have to have we'll have to have you back again in the future because as you stated earlier there's always a lot to unpack on these really important topics, but can you tell our um, our listeners where they can find you, where they can learn more about sure. what you're doing? Yeah, yeah, uh, happy to do that. Um, you can always email me, Martin, M-A-R-T-I-N, at onplane, O-N-P-L-A-N-E, dot com, or you can look us up online at onplane.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. 
If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.